Hi, this is a UJS podcast. Uh, I am Daniel. And I'm Jodie. We are sabbatical officers on this year's uh, team. And today's podcast, uh, we're going to be talking about our experiences. Um, we both uh, went to Poland on uh, heritage and remembrance trips. Um, I went more recently, I believe. Um, I, I just got back and uh, we thought it'd be a good opportunity to sort of uh, spell out and talk about our experiences, how they're sitting with us, what, what we felt at the time and how we feel now. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, great. Um, thanks, Dan. So, yeah, as, he, as Daniel said, he just got back from a Poland trip and I went on two different Poland trips, both of them um, before COVID, one when I was in sit form um, with a group of Jews who went to non-Jewish schools all went together on a trip and I also participated in March of the Living um, 2019 as well. Yes, yeah, so this was my uh, my first Poland trip. So I think it's probably quite going to be quite interesting to explore sort of like the differences between, you know, you who've been more than once now, what, three times? Twice. Oh, twice. Right. <laughs> uh, right and uh, me, who was, it was my, my first time. I mean, I've read about... Um, read about the Holocaust, I've grown up learning about it and I've been privileged to have quite a, quite a strong um, education on the subject, um, but it was still like a whole, a whole thing, a whole new thing, um, actually being there and experiencing, um, experiencing the space myself. Um, so uh, what do you think we should uh, discuss first? So, yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying about it being, there being a massive disconnect between what you learn in books or even what you hear from Holocaust survivors and actually, you know, experiencing the physical sights yourself and, like, actually being there. Um, so I guess I wanted to know, because you've just got back from Poland yourself, like, what was the most impactful part of the trip for you? All right, we'll jump right in the deep end then. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Um, so my trip uh, that I just got back from, we visited, um, we started in Warsaw and um, we saw Plaschow concentration camp, which um, for those listening, um, if you've seen the film Schindler's List, that is the concentration camp that features in that film. Now it's, it's not even a camp, it's a, it's a park. There's, the, there's almost nothing that remains of, of the, original, um, the original camp. Um, but I also, uh, on the second day of the trip, and it was a two day trip, so it was very intense, um, we visited Auschwitz and then Birkenau. Um, I think the most impactful thing for me uh, was when we went to Auschwitz and uh, in the different uh, barracks they've been sort of repurposed into museums um, and but they, they keep artifacts that were salvaged um, from the camp um, after it's I mean, I don't, apparently liberation is not really the right word I mean we, we talk about like the liberation of Auschwitz as an important date but it's like there wasn't much left to liberate at the time not a lot of people either um, what was left was a lot of um, uh, things that had been taken. Artifacts feels like too historic, but uh, things that had been taken and just collected from the the Jews that had been um, processed through the space. And one of the boxes was, it was like a massive, massive glass display full of human hair. And uh, also next to that was an example of what had been done with that hair, which was a a piece of uh, fabric that had been manufactured out of the hair of Jewish women. And seeing that firsthand and failing really to process it at the time, that was the most impactful thing to me. I mean, just that you can take people's hair and turn it into, you can steal people's hair and turn it into a fabric for 
for whatever utility is is I mean it's mind blowing in and of itself, but I, I I couldn't really that was I didn't cry during the trip, um, but that was the closest I came. I was sort of emotionally uh, dumbfounded. Yeah, for sure. I think um, when I think now about Auschwitz Birkenau, I have very mixed feelings about about my situ- about my experiences there. The first time when I went on a Poland trip, um, it was more like how you describe like a very emotional time, very personal. Um, our group spent a lot of time processing and discussing what we were seeing and feeling. Um, you know, we sang songs um, near the ovens, and we had a very um, very harrowing experience actually at Auschwitz Birkenau. And then when I went on the March of the Living trip. It was actually really interesting to go back to exactly the same place I'd been at just a couple of years previously, but the feeling was completely, completely different. There were thousands upon thousands of people coming from all over the world to gather together in Auschwitz-Birkenau um, to commemorate what happened there and to really reflect and remember. But the vibe of just so many Jewish people coming together from all over the world. People were swapping um, badges that we've been given on our trips and from different countries. People were, you know, eating and chatting. And I felt very strange about it. On the one hand, I felt it's amazing to see the Jewish continuity and to see this place that was once a place of such destruction and sadness, just flooded with Jewish life and flourishing Judaism from people from everywhere. But on the other hand, it was very, very strange to see this place that in theory should be left as it was kind of empty, dark and a deep place to be um, to be filled with such light. And that I find a very interesting contrast in my head when I think about it now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I haven't done much of the living, but I have always uh, wanted to. But I thought I would try and go on a more solemn trip uh, before I went on a, uh, a joyous one. You know, experience it in the light of um, in the light of the the, the atrocity before um, bringing perhaps the joy. Um, but do you feel like having the the solemn trip first and then the the joyous trip um, was like a good like journey? Yeah, I felt like um, both trips had a lot of moments of both sadness and happiness. Um, for me, I felt the march of the living was a very educational experience, and I learned a lot but I wasn't so emotionally connected as I was when I went the first time in sit form. Um, I'm not sure like for what reason that was, but I also felt like coming when I was in university, going to Poland really was the right time for me to visit, um, to visit Poland. I felt that I had learned enough about the Holocaust and had enough Holocaust education to really, to really be able to experience the magnitude of Poland in the correct way. And I also felt that I was old enough and at a point of maturity where I could handle it. Um, whereas in in our trip when we were in sit form, emotions were very, very high, understandably. Um, and although it was an appropriate time to go as a group, for me it was quite difficult coming back from Poland that first time um, because we hadn't gone as a united group from one school. We'd been, you know, lots of different pockets of people coming together. Mm. I went back to school, we flew back, I remember, overnight Sunday night to Monday, came home, had about three hours sleep and headed to school Monday morning after everybody else had just had half term and had a lovely time. Um, and I was, you know, really just still trying to grapple with my emotions and try and process what I'd just seen. Um, and I came to school and I just felt like really nobody understood what I'd been through. Whereas when I was in university, I felt I was just that much bit older um, to be able to 
relate to others what I'd been through and how I could bring that experience to people that hadn't been to Poland. Mm. I mean, I've, I've definitely felt that a lot of the processing that I've been doing following the trip uh, has happened afterwards. And um, like, it's, it, I'll, I'll just sort of catch myself like thinking of things that I'm doing, just my everyday actions, and then contextualizing them against what I learned and experienced. And I almost feel like that's been more beneficial and more powerful than the trip itself. I mean, the trip it's, has kind of been for me a catalyst for some kind of more mature understanding of um, what it was, I mean, what the Holocaust was. I mean, I, th- I think that's all I really felt at the time um, was was a, a grounded understanding of what the machine of concentration camp was. That, that it was a a, a nation, an empire, I don't know if you call the Nazi expansion an empire, but a, a mass geographic machine designed to pull Jews from everywhere they could find them into a single space, extract from them everything they had of value and everything that the Nazis determined that they had of value, separate it from them, steal it, um, and then dispose of them. Almost like a, like a production line that separates wheat from chaff in a, in a granary. Or uh, like, a, like a, a big machine, basically. A big, uh, and then in that sense, a big weapon. Um, that's how I felt at the time. And I think that's probably why the thing about the hair was striking me so much. Because all we were to um, all we were to the Nazis was like a, a a part of a a part of a factory or a production line that that needed to be refined, have the value extracted from, and and, and disposing of the the extra, which of course was the only part that actually had any value at all. Um, I I think now I've I've come out of that, and I think about my own life, and I've you know gone back into the Jewish community and. And seen Jewish life as it is, I realized that actually that was their mistake because they didn't realize that that's the only element of us that had any value, and the things that they took from us were superficial. Um, you know, uh, you can steal someone's gold and someone's money, someone's hair, someone's identity, but you can't. But the community and the religion—that's that's what what matters. And that's what they couldn't recognise. And I think that's why they're gone and we're not. Yeah, for sure. I think something that I really realised, especially after coming home from Poland, coming back to England, was finally understanding that synergy between the large scale and the personal aspects of the Holocaust. So mm. I think before I'd been to Poland, we'd heard all the big numbers. We understood, or we tried to understand, 6 million and all of these massive, massive numbers. But it felt a bit incomprehensible. And what I found relatable was, you know, hearing personal stories of Holocaust survivors or second or third generation survivors and what they've been through. However, when I actually went to Poland, I finally managed to match up in my head those big, big scale numbers, looking at giant expanses of space like Auschwitz-Birkenau and those personal stories and those, you know, experiences that slotted themselves into that larger picture was something I was finally able to put together. And I think that's impacted how mm. I think about the Holocaust now and also how I'm treating Holocaust education um, to others, especially to students. It's true, you can't teach it as statistics because you can't visualise six million. Like, 
you, I can't visualizing six hundred is hard. Visualizing six thousand is achievable but difficult. At a certain point, it just is just a number. Mm. But then, like, I don't know. I, I watched Schindler's List um, in preparation, I suppose, um, and there's that image of the the little girl in the in the red coat, mm-hmm. and she she's singled out from the from the the mass of of the of the chaos and uh, i guess you follow her journey from from was it all the way from warsaw into into auschwitz um and i i I think that's that's how you have to treat it you have to particularize it you have to look at the individual stories as many of them as you can collect i suppose and you can never collect all of them uh uh in order to just understand the the uh, the horror of it and i think the the painful thing is that once you really do understand the horror of it there's like a that something awakens and you you want you know, everything everything i i have now i realize is so fragile but also so because it's so fragile it's it's so valuable i think that maybe that's the part i'm i'm still i mean it hasn't been very long since i've been back mm-hmm. i was i was away uh what, two weekends ago um i think I think that's that's at least the the upside of it is that you know it's all it's all very good saying like I used to take everything for granted but you know this is like what we have is is precious and we should you know we should we should keep it and and respect it. Mm. I think reflecting now, it's it's crazy to me how quickly that feeling actually went away. But as soon as I came back from Poland, both times it reminded me of, you know, the fragility of everything and how important it is to, you know, hold hold close to the things that you value. And I think it's really interesting now reflecting on how quickly I actually went back to normal life. And yes, there were definitely changes that I made. And now thinking about the peer group that I went with, how our lives were impacted by that and who decided to make these massive life changes while they were there and whether that actually got followed through and actually what are the changes that we can make in our lives or what is what is the impact of our trips that can really can really shape us and shape you know young people in 2021 in London um like something for me for example I know a lot of my a lot of my peer group were like oh I'm gonna become more religious after Poland or oh, I'm gonna start mm. praying or I'm gonna you know t- do these massive things which a lot of them did for a short amount of time but didn't often didn't often pan out in the long term. For me, something that I decided to take on um, the first time I went to Poland in sit form was um, just saying one more prayer every day. And the prayer I decided to say was the one after um, after you go to the bathroom, there's a Jewish prayer that you say, it's called Asher Yatsar. And when looking at the latrines in Auschwitz-Birkenau and the conditions that people had to live in, it really just made me feel gratitude for even the things that we absolutely take for granted. And now since then, every time I've used the bathroom, I say that prayer and it's just a very small reminder of even just the simplest things, the basic going on in our body and in our homes and in our bathrooms, all of that we need to be grateful for and all of that we can't just assume that we're going to have it forever because as we both saw when we were there, that can be taken away from you so quickly. So quickly. And like, especially considering like, uh, like the Hungarian jury and how quick, like they, they, they were... I mean, it all happened to them in in like a matter of matter of weeks. Like, so, I think I think gratitude is exactly right. I think it's very easy to make big, life affirming commitments, 
leaving leaving uh, leaving that space, being like, well, now I'm gonna go and change my life, and or maybe I will become a Hasid or whatever you, whatever you think you're gonna do, but just practicing and having a perspective on gratitude is probably, you know, that has to be the foundation of it. And I, th- I think I'm starting to appreciate it a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I think as well, going forwards, thinking about Holocaust education and talking to other people about our experiences, I really felt that very strongly during COVID where there was a large group of people um, that didn't go to Poland at kind of the regular times where sit formers might go, for example, or university students on March of the Living or similar trips. A lot of those didn't happen. And it's really interesting to see what new Holocaust education initiatives have come out of COVID and come out of that um, that inability to actually fly and be there. Um, so I think that's something that I've been thinking about a lot, especially in my role at UJS. Part of my role includes Holocaust education. And it's definitely something I've adapted and taken on for this um, this upcoming Holocaust Memorial Day in January. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you want to talk a bit more about that? Like... Uh, yeah, sure. So I think... I'm basing my model on what I said earlier about it. we can't discuss huge statistics. We can try and people can try and appreciate them, but really what's going to be relatable and interesting um, and actually impactful is kind of personal and is a journey. Um, so I'm basing my, um, my theory of Holocaust education this year around those journeys and hopefully creating um, templates that are going to go up in student unions, go up in JSOC spaces, go up in university spaces, so that students can take some time out on Holocaust Memorial Day, walk around and have a look at the journey of different people during the Holocaust, um, and try and feel what they went through, and try and really understand and reflect on their experiences, and ending each one with this, with this going forward attitude, with this it's nice that we've been educated, but we can't just put it in a box in our brain and hide it away. It's actually how are we going to use what we've learned to ensure that never again means never again? And how are we going to use what we've learned to ensure that we're treating people in the right way and so that we reflect on that gratitude and use it for the right reasons? I think that would be really good. Um, that sounds like a really good uh, campaign. I'll be, um, I'm very excited to see it. And obviously, I'll help you out with as much as I can. If there are any students or SUs listening that want to be in touch more about it, please just drop me an email. Um, but Where's your email? My email is jodyf at ujs.org.uk. Very good. Um, mine's danielm at ujs.org.uk. Uh, my, my role is um, Israel engagement. Um, and I think thinking about... Uh, you know what I experienced uh, in light of my role has also been quite interesting because um, I mean uh, it, 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 it's it, there's no right way to say it that the, 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 the state of Israel feels like in some ways the light at the end of a very dark tunnel mm-hmm. um, because nothing satisfies it and you never want to in any way cl- claim some sense that what occurred was was justified by what followed but I think the the only way that feels right to say it is that seeing the state of Israel in the context of Auschwitz, Birkenau, the Holocaust gives me such a gratitude for it, um, and it strengthens my personal connection to it as a as a haven of safety, mm. as a as a place in which we can practice our religion freely under our own under our own. Uh, our own guidance, our own rule, um, and and not at the behest of those who, you know, don't always want the best for us. And as we saw, 
sometimes one of the worst for us. I think that 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 at least is is a is a positive feeling that I can take forward from that. Um, and so I, I think I, I don't know yet if I, how I'll incorporate that into uh, into the role into my role, but yeah, I'll definitely be thinking about it. And uh, I, I think that's that's a start. Yeah, definitely. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening and engaging with our podcast today. Um, there will be more. Don't worry, there'll be lots more UJS podcasts coming up. So watch this space. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is anybody that wants further support or wants to chat more about what we've listened to today. Yeah, this was some uh, heavy topics. So. Yeah, definitely. Please just be in touch with one of us um, and we can discuss it further. And we hope you all have a lovely day. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Jody, for uh, everything you had to say. And thank you, Daniel. Well, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> and uh, we will uh, see you, the listeners. Oh. Speak to you, the listeners, in the next uh, podcast. So, take care.